My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. Then you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I don't know about you, if you've been reading through the Bible with us, we've got 260 or so people reading through the Bible uh, on a daily basis. We're going chronologically through the Bible, so it's a little bit different. So we studied Genesis and we stopped over on Job, which is usually later in the Bible because it's put together thematically, but chronologically, Job shows up somewhere there, and Jacob did a great job the last couple Sundays preaching. And so we're walking through this journey, but one of the things that we've seen, and, and I see every year when I do this is, man, what a bunch of messed up people, right? I mean, if you want to become disappointed in people, just read the Bible. I mean, think about it. You guys, you're going through, if you've read through Genesis and you've read through Job and we're going to get into Exodus and all that stuff, you know, the reality is these people are just normal, hurting, broken people. But man, those are people are really broken. I mean, you look at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those stories, Joseph and his brothers, there's a lot of deception, there's murder, there's mayhem. I mean, it's just like make a great Netflix special, you know what I mean? But the reality is it's easy to become disappointed in those people. God actually wants to use you in great ways. And unfortunately, we read the Bible having, you know, had 2,000 or 3,000 or more years of history, and we just forget that they were normal people. They were just regular people, men and women, young and old, just like us. And, and they weren't even qualified to do what they did. But when God showed up, they became qualified because they didn't focus on themselves. They focused on God. And I just thought about this. I wrote a kind of a cursory glance at this of all the people who had faults and failures and hurts and habits and hangups and all this stuff. And I think about it, that we're those same people. But the people that we look at in the Bible, we revere as heroes. We put them on a pedestal, but they had struggles just like us. I mean, think about Moses. We're going to see today, he wasn't a good speaker. He had a speech impediment. Jonah, he was just flat out disobedient, right? He ran from God. He just ran from God. God called him, spoke to him, and he said, no, I'm going the 180, right? Uh, Jacob was a liar and a deceiver. Not our youth pastor, Jacob. He's pretty cool. Um, Rahab was a prostitute. I don't know many, you know, moms and daughters, you know, daughter. The Ra- Nobody's named Rahab today, right? There's a name. There's a reason. David, this great man of God, had an affair which led to death. He killed someone. He had someone murdered. Then his baby died, and then his family fell apart. 
Uh, Jeremiah, he was depressed a lot. Man, you want to have fun one day? Read Jeremiah. And if you want to have more fun, read the book of Lamentations. You're like, man, this guy needed some medicine, right? But he had great depression. Normal person. Solomon, rich in wisdom, incredibly brilliant, actually a fool, right? Because he had no self-control and didn't do what he had written about. Uh, John the Baptist, weird, right? Eating locusts and honey and wearing the leather. And it's just like living out in the desert, a hermit. It's like, it's like a homeless person in Portland. Like, I got to stay away from that guy, right? I'm not sure. Is he crazy? Is he talking to himself or is God talking to him, right? Just n- not a normal person. Uh, you take a look at people like Timothy, he's too young. Abraham, too old. Lazarus, too dead. Uh, you look at Sarah, she's barren. You look at Naomi, she's a widow. She's lost her husband, she's lost her son, she's got nothing. She goes back, Ruth comes with her. Now Ruth's a foreigner in the land, so she's not welcome. Gideon, Thomas, both doubted God. Peter lacked self-control. Peter had that foot and mouth disease we talk about. That I mean, it's great, I love, I love Peter. At least he'd said something, right? It was usually wrong. At least he got out of the boat. Yeah, he sank, but he got out, right? I love Peter. Um, James and John, they were self-righteous and they had an anger issue. They were called the sons of thunder. You know, that's awesome and or not. Okay, Paul had a short fuse. So did Peter and Moses. The story of the people in the Bible is God interacting with normal folks like you and me and doing extraordinary things in and through them. And if you read the Bible or hear the Bible stories preached and you look at them and you go, yeah, but they were, you've missed the point. They weren't that. Today we're going to talk about Moses. And can I tell you, before he became Moses, he was just Moses. I mean, we look at Moses, the man of God. Anybody, you're already picturing Charlton Heston, right? You know, this big, this big booming voice and this, this miraculous and this beard and everything. Aaron, you think you got a beard. Dude, Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments, that was awesome, right? And this staff and parting the seas and the plagues and the, all that stuff and standing before God on a mountain face to face. But before he was all that, he was actually kind of a washed up guy. He was a guy that had tried and failed, and he really was wandering lonely, almost to the point where God could never use a person like that. I think that's kind of our struggle sometimes. We're just normal people. We're just regular people. We're not fill in the blank. We're not leaders. We're not pastors. We're not whatever you might think. And we kind of discount ourselves and realize all the people of the Bible, they were mess ups, right? They were just normal people that blew up their lives and God showed up. And so if you're here today or you're watching online and you've made some big mistakes, welcome to the family. You know, maybe you're in a crisis right now. Welcome to the family. You're struggling relationally. Welcome to the family. There are people in the Bible just like you. But if you stay there and you get stuck there, I think you'll miss out on what God wants to do in and through your life. Now, for the sake of time, we're going to see the story of Moses in the first four chapters of Exodus. Exodus 1, 2, 3, 4, really just 3 and 4. But I need a story tell to get you up to speed here. It's a lot. And if you're reading through the Bible, we're already through the plagues and we're already where they're getting the word from God on the mountain tomorrow. It's a great story. So I kind of have to rush through it. But basically, we finished Genesis, where it was the story of God calling out a man, Abram, assigning him a duty that God was going to bless him and do these amazing things. Through his seed, all the earth would be blessed. And so he had Isaac, and then there was Jacob, who became Israel. And then there is Joseph. They're now in Egypt, where God sent them. About 70 people are now in Egypt. And they're there for 400 years. 
400 years, and it's not pretty. Because where God had sent them to prosper them, to bless them, to provide for them, becomes a place of bondage and slavery, literally. Somewhere along the way, they become slaves. As they become incredibly numerous, they just rapidly explode in population. They go in 70. By the time they come out, they're three, four million because there's one and a half, one million plus men, fighting men of age. So women and children, and you've got a lot of people, right? And so they're prosperous. And because of that, the Pharaoh who grows up who doesn't know Joseph is worried. He's anxious. He's fearful. What if they take off? What if they take over? What if they join an enemy? What do we do? So they enslave them. Generational slavery. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of generational slavery. I mean, 400 years ago. You know, you'd have to be a history teacher to know what happened then, right? First of all, the King James Bible was 11 years old. It was like hot off the press, right? It was brand new, and that's when they actually spoke like that, right? Uh, You've you got the Jamestown Massacre in the colonies 400 years ago. We don't know 400 years ago, but, you know, we had slaves for that long that we actually bound people in chains, that we as a people group all around the West, even today in the world, I mean, there's no question about it. It still exists, but we enslaved people so they would work for us. That's what happened in Egypt and generational slavery, the sin of that changed the people. And they once went in, people of God, and then they're now they're bound. And they're building cities for Pharaoh. And they're making bricks, right? They're just making bricks. And they're working in the hot Egyptian sun. And the brutal taskmasters are over them. And then there's so many people coming up. Pharaoh has this brilliant idea. We got to get rid of all these people. So let's start killing the babies that are boys. So if there's a boy that's born, let's get him killed. Let's drop him in the Nile, throw him in the river. They're, they're God, the Nile. And so let's destroy these babies, these boys. And, um, and so uh, one gal doesn't. And she gives birth to Moses, puts him in the water in a basket. And then the princess of Egypt pulls him out. And his name is kind of a play on words to draw out. She pulled him out of the water, saved him out of the water. His name is Moses to draw out. And so he's raised then, uh, originally it's kind of fun, by his mom. He's handed back to his mom, who's paid to raise him and nurse him, who then gives him back to the princess. He's raised for 40 years. He grows up in the splendor of Egypt with all of the education, with all the perks, unbelievable gold, unbelievable silver, unbelievable wealth, unbelievable life. And then one day he's out there and he sees an Egyptian taskmaster brutally beating one of his brothers as a Hebrew. And, 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 and so what he ends up doing is he attacks the Egyptian and kills him and buries him in the sand. But it doesn't stay hidden. Because the next day he goes out and two more brothers, his Hebrew families, they're fighting and he starts to squash that and as he goes to squash that all of a sudden they go what are you going to do kill us too word gets out pharaoh finds out he's got a death notice 40 years old and he runs he runs and he goes out to the desert out to the wilderness he meets uh, jethro a priest of midian marries one of his daughters and he starts tending sheep for 40 years this guy's eight decades old if you're eight decades old god bless you God's been with you. Heather Brown, she turns eight decades old this summer. You know, it's amazing to see how God uses her. My mom in a year and a half, eight decades, 80 years old. I mean, you're long past retirement, social security, right? You're, you're like, oh, I'm kind of on the downhill slide here, right? And God shows up and at 80, 
God takes this failure of a man, Moses, and ignites his life. And for another 40 years, he becomes Moses, the man of God. And here's what I want to say to you today. Is I don't know what the past part of your life has been. Failure, frustrations, maybe you live in fear. I don't know. I don't know if you feel washed up. I don't know if you feel too old, you know. I don't know if you feel like, hey, my years are behind me. Uh, When you encounter God, anything's possible. I don't care how old you are. God can ignite in you an energy and a drive and a passion and do the miraculous. But you got to keep your eyes off yourself. And you got to put your eyes on God. And that's the lead up. Let me jump into the story here. This is where we encounter God in Exodus 3. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. He's 80, okay, Father-in-law Jethro, it's not his, it's his father-in-law's, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, sometimes called Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. The mountain of God, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. By the way, a little side note here. Anytime you read the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, but especially the angel of the Lord, and the word Lord is all caps. We'll talk about that in just a moment. That's Jesus, we believe, pre-incarnate, before he came in the flesh. Jesus shows up and reveals God. And so this is Jesus showing up from the Old Testament, and he declares that he's the I Am. And later in the New Testament, he says the same thing. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Now I find it interesting that Moses is 80 and he knows about his people who have been crying out for rescue. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they've been slaves And they're crying out to God, God, rescue us. They're crying, they're weeping, they're being brutally treated, and they're waiting for God to deliver them. And here's Moses, who maybe tried to start that process, but failed, and now he's out wandering in the desert, in the wilderness, tending sheep. He knows his people are in suffering, but what can he do about it, right? I find it interesting that God, when you read the Bible, usually calls really busy people, people that are preoccupied, doing something else. I mean, you think about this. Gideon, uh, when you read his story, he was busy threshing wheat, right? And the angel of the Lord showed up and in a, in a funny way said, oh, mighty man of valor. It's like, that's not who Gideon was. He became that, but he wasn't that at the moment. He was just shivering and hiding. Uh, Samuel was just a young child. He was busy. What was he doing? He was tending to God's work in the tabernacle and God spoke to him. David as a teenager, was just busy tending his dad's flock. God showed up in, in the, through the prophet Samuel and anointed him as king. Elisha was busy plowing a field. James and John and Peter and Andrew, they're busy fishing, and Jesus shows up and calls them. Matthew was busy collecting taxes, and Jesus showed up and called him. Paul was busy killing Christians, and Jesus showed up and called him, right? Jesus shows up to busy people. God shows up to preoccupied people and interrupts their schedule and says, I've, I've got a I've got an assignment. I've got a mission. And so it says, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the patriarchs. 
When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Can you imagine feeling like a failure, a disappointment, and you're wandering and your life is over in most people's eyes, and God shows up and you see him face to face? I think there's a metaphor here with the bush. I don't want to build too much out of it, but I love it. God took an insignificant bush, could be dried up, we don't really know, but it's out in the desert, out in the wilderness, and he showed up in the midst of it and lit it on fire. That is Moses. God took Moses, a dried up withered bush, and he entered into the midst of him and lit him on fire and spoke through him. Never discount what God wants to do in and through you. Never toss aside. You may say, but James, you don't know about. And we could sit and you have a story and we'd weep together. But I would say, but you don't know about God. Because God can take people in your moment when everybody else has written you off or when you've written yourself off. And when he shows up in the middle, he ignites a flame and a fire. Then the Lord told him, the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard the cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land, later called the promised land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. He goes on to describe it. He says, this is the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites now live. That's a lot of ites, okay? These other pagan people. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. (laughs) And here's the turning point. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Everything was great until God said, and I am sending you. I've heard all that. I've come down to rescue them, and I am sending you. That's where we kind of shut down on the story. That's where Moses did, right? Uh, Throughout the rest of my message, I want to talk about five objections. I'll just talk about them, and then I'll have them listed later. Five excuses, objectives, questions, pushbacks that Moses gave to God. And I would guess that we've done some of the same. Uh, it says here, Moses protested. Look at this. Moses protested to God. Isn't that funny? God shows up, says, I'm going to do this great thing, and I'm going to send you. And Moses is like, oh, what are you talking about here? He says, who am I? Who am I, God? I mean, you do know who I am, right? I'm Moses, the wash-up, the 80-year-old guy. Who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Maybe there's still a warrant out for his arrest, you know, whatever. Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. That's his answer to who am I? Look at me. I will be with you. And this is the sign that I'm the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Moses protested, who am I? You ever think, think that way? God, who am I? Who am I to share the gospel with that person? Who am I to disciple that person? Who am I to witness that person? Who am I to correct that person? Who am I to enter into a conversation? Who am I? God says, what, 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 what is this? who am I? I am, and I will go with you, right? Isn't that enough? Well, it wasn't enough for Moses. Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors had sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? In other words, who are you? <laughs> you know? Who are you? It's been 400 years, God. 400 years. Who are you? I mean, he already said he had 
He was the God of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A common, often repeated phrase, the rest of the Bible, I am that eternal God. Who are you? I mean, it's been 400 years, right? Who are you to show up now, God? Why didn't you show up before? God replied, this is awesome. I am who I am. Now I'm old enough to remember Popeye. And there should be a Y in there. I am who I am, right? Now, what is that? Okay, here's the awesome thing. That is God's personal name. My name is James. That's my name. That was given to be my, my father, who also happened to be James, which was really confusing growing up, okay? God says, who am I? I will tell you who I am. I am who I am. You're like, well, that's not a very good answer because you just still confuse me, right? Okay, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people in the Old Testament, in the language, knew that was four letters. Theologians call it the tetragrammaton, the four letters of God. And we call it today Yahweh. We had the vowels to it, Y-H-W-H. Jews don't dare pronounce it. They just use the word God, or, or even today they go G-D. They don't dare utter the personal name of God. It's holy, it's sacred. And God utters it now, and he says, I am who I am. Now, what does that mean? In the original language, the Hebrew language, the best way is it's a derivative of, of to be. And what he's saying is, I am the self-existent one. I am the God of the past. I am the God of the present. I am the God of the future. In the New Testament, we see Jesus is the one who is and was and is to come, right? This whole idea, God's eternal and he's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anybody else. He's not dependent upon us. He is the self-existing God. Now, in that context, this is what God is saying to Moses. He's saying, I am truly he who exists and I will go with you where I'm sending you. That's enough. I am God, the one who's always existed. I truly exist, and I will be present with you when you go to where I am sending you. That is the personal name of God revealed to Moses, and now we can say it and sing about it. That's all you need to know is I am he, I am that I am. And he goes on to say, oh, go back to that slide there. Go and say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I'm going to close the message by talking about Jesus using this. He got in trouble. He got in serious trouble. You know, Jesus was a bad boy for calling himself the I am. They picked up stones to kill him because he said that. Because he equated himself with this God right here in Exodus 3. God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh. We translate it in our Bibles as Lord with all caps, small caps, Lord. Anytime you see that, it's the personal name for Almighty God, Yahweh. The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Think about that. We're thousands upon thousands of years removed from this story, right? And he's still the I am. And he's enough. He's sufficient. He's eternal for you and for me. Who are you? <laughs> Let me tell you who I am. I am the one. His next excuse, I like this. He says like, well, what if they don't listen to me? Look at the next text. He goes, 
that he protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? Again, it's a little more of really actually, what if they don't believe or listen to you? Or what if I don't believe or listen to you, right? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? What if it was just a dream? What if I go there and I, I go on assignment and I'm a disappointment? Again, Moses has his eyes fixed on himself, not on God. He doubted himself. He doubted his people. He doubted God. And then he protests. He says, hey, look at this next one. This is great. He says, oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. He pleaded with God. He's, not, he's done protesting. He's pleading. You know, God, you know, you don't know this about me. Isn't that awesome? There's something you're not aware of right now, but I have a speech impediment, okay? I struggle. I'm not very good with words. I, I wish you would have checked on that before you came and talked to me because you would have known that, right? I'm not good at this. I mean, I'm not a good speaker. You want me to speak to Pharaoh? He says, I'm not very good with words. I've never been and I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled, right? That's his excuse. He goes, you got the wrong guy. Do you not know who I am? This is, this is kind of funny. Of course he knows. He's the I am that he is, right? He's, he's to be. He's the self-sufficient one, right? The God who made you, friends. The God who made you, the God who loves you, the God who has called you to himself is more than sufficient to take care of any deficiency that you may see in your life, whatever that might be. Maybe it's a physical deficiency. Maybe, maybe you're tongue-tied. Maybe you don't have good words. Maybe you're not a good speaker. Maybe you're not a good writer. Maybe you're not a good communicator, all right? Uh, none of that matters if God shows up. If God wants to accomplish a task and you say yes, he will accomplish it in you and through you. That's the point of the story, Right? Get your eyes off of yourself and start thinking about God. God says, I am. And Moses says, I'm not. I'm like, well, of course you're not. Because I am. Let's get that right. I am, you're not. Any questions, okay? But I will be in the midst of the story. This last week, I, I reread a classic by Andrew Murray called Humility. It's a great book. And um, in it, he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It's not trying to downplay who you are. It's just forgetting in that sense, right? And, and you and I have the same problem Moses had. We focus on ourselves too much when God invites us or calls us to do something. And we look at ourselves. Stop looking at yourself and look at the burning bush. Look at the God who is, who was, who will be the self-existent one. And then his final objection is pretty blunt. It's like, just send someone else. <laughs> Isn't that great? The Lord pleaded, but Moses pleaded again, Lord, please send someone else. I love that. This is great. In the Bible, you see this, Lord, no. It's like God says, Lord, no. It's like it's either Lord or it's not Lord. It can't be Lord, no, because if he's Lord, it's yes, right? And he just pleaded, God, please, could you find someone else? Can I just say at this moment, this is really pathetic, okay? They didn't show this in Cecil B. DeMille's version. Okay, because are you serious? You're complaining, you're arguing with God, and you finally say, God, please, I don't want to do it. This is the wimp Moses, who we don't think about. We think about the man Moses. Well, he was a wimp at first. He just didn't want to do it. I don't know, a myriad of reasons. I know you know this. We all have this experience. We're called into something and we're invited to do something, I don't want to do it. I don't know. I don't have the words. I don't know the answers to that. I'm clueless, God. But here's what I would say. 
If I've learned any one thing in my life, if you just show up, God will show up. In fact, he's already showing up and just invites you to show up with him. He's got a plan. He wants to do something amazing. It's ironic that Moses stands there and protests when he's looking at God. And he's speaking to the God of all time. And so, if you read the story, eventually God says, okay, well, we'll use your brother Aaron to be the spokesperson. Um, And in the story, if you read about it, Aaron causes some struggles, right? Because, you know, he's the one that builds the golden calf, okay, while Moses is up there. So the the prophet's up on the mountain. The priest is turning the people away from God, okay? And then Moses, uh, his brother Aaron, and then his sister Miriam are the ones that stand against Moses and argue and complain, who made you? Who, Who are you to think you're Moses, right? Okay, why can't we be Moses too? So in some sense, Aaron becomes a thorn in the flesh. Not you, Aaron. I love you. Um, But this Aaron. Here's what I would say. Friends, God knows you better than you know yourself. And we must trust him and obey him because he wants to show up. And if we do that, amazing things will happen. You know, the will of God, the will of God will never lead you where the power of God cannot enable you. The will of God will never lead you to where the power of God will not enable you. So walk by faith in his promises. I don't know what you have going this week or this month. I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know what your situation, the tension is. I mean, there's a lot of struggle in this world, right? I mean, in some senses, we're on the brink of war. You know, we could have World War III with the push of a button. You know, I'm old enough to know what the Cold War is. My kids don't know what the Cold War is. You know, the Cold War when we feared the bomb. We could enter into that season again. <laughs> this virus, man, I hope it goes away. What if it, what if it lasts more years? You know, what if restrictions, oh, I'm tired. I'm so sick and tired of all this stuff. I just want to live my life, right? Aren't you there? But you know, here's the thing. God is. He's sufficient. And he wants to show up in the middle of our struggles And he wants us to stop looking at ourselves and start looking at him. And he wants us to do something great because he is the one who will do something great. So here is a summation of the five objections or the pushbacks by Moses. Who am I? I'm nothing. You got the wrong guy. Who are you? Let's just, you're the God that hasn't shown up, right? For 400 years. Uh, They won't listen to me. Uh, I'm not a good speaker. Let somebody else do it. Now, So if you're watching online, do this too. But if you're in the room, please, would you raise your hand if you've ever objected like that to one of those kind of things to God? Okay, of course. We're all like that. Here's the cool thing. In the midst of Moses asking questions back, objecting to God, God asks Moses a couple questions. And I love it. Look what he asks. He says, hey, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Now in the story, he's got a staff. He's a shepherd. He's got a staff. And God says, what's in your hand? It's like a staff. He's like, throw it down. He throws it down. It becomes a snake. And I like in the story, he says, he jumps back. Duh. Okay. And then God says, okay, pick it up by the tail. Not a good answer, right? He picks it up. It becomes a staff again. It's part of the miracles. Here's what I want to say, friends. And, and, I, and I don't want to do any disservice to the text, but I want to say God has put something in your hand. I don't know what he's put in your hand, but he has put something in your hand And maybe that's what he wants to use. And I know you feel inadequate at times. I know you look at people like Jacob or me or or any of the pastors that communicate. And you go, well, they could do it. They could, they could, they could. But God is calling you to do it. 
And you can if you just do it because he's put something in your hand. What has he put in your hand? Has he put a pen in your hand? Has he put a wrench in your hand? What has he put in your hand? People? Opportunity? I think he's put something in your hand. Um, I get my sermons done usually a week ahead of time, and so I read them to my wife and kind of process them and pray. And a week ago, my wife and I were talking about this, and I was reading this to her. We're lying in bed, and we're just talking, and we're praying. And, and I was explaining to her this story, and, and, and we were talking about her and this situation that she was going to have where a pastor's daughter has been traumatized and so much hurt and pain and all these things. And this young gal is just, you know, just in need of some love. How about that, okay? And my wife had said, you know, I'll do it. Here's what happened was my wife had gone with a pastor's wife's group and put tinsel in ladies' hair. And if that doesn't make any sense, I'm sorry. You'll have to see my wife next week and look at her hair. It's cool. I'm so glad I have short hair. I don't have tinsel. Okay. But if I had a beard like yours, Aaron, I might get tinsel in it. Who knows? Okay. So, so the daughter looked at her mom and said, oh, I like the tinsel. And instantly, Marybeth had a connection. And she was coming over to our house for about an hour. And so we prayed. And I was telling her, I said, you know what? You don't have the words. You don't know. You don't have the arguments. You don't have the explanations. You don't have all the answers of all that happened. But you know what you have in your hand? You have some tinsel. What do you have in your hand? And we prayed that that tinsel would be the building block of a relationship, of a redeeming relationship. Friends, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? It's there for a reason. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your calling and your passion. I believe God wants to use what's in your hand for his glory. And the second question, who made your mouth? Who made your mouth? I say this emotionally because my son Noah has given me permission to share this story. But um, as second born, he should have come out of the womb talking. You know, he should have just been arguing immediately because he's got an older brother that was talking nonstop. And, but he didn't. And he's two and then he's three and he's not talking. And I remember taking you, Noah, I love you, man. I was just taking you to West Union and sitting there in the hallway as he went to the speech teacher. And for years... For years, going to speech classes and just praying, God, please, please remove this. He stuttered. And a lot of people stutter. And, you know, I'm a dad going like, oh, we can fix this. We can work on this. But to be a young man who stutters and to, to feel the, maybe the shame or the embarrassment or the struggle of what classmates are saying and everything, my heart's dying inside. God, please take it away. Nobody wants to see that, right? Not that the stuttering is the issue, but what happens because of it. And then a couple years ago in youth group, they're talking about this story, this passage. And I take the boys home after youth group and what'd you study? And it was this one. And it was a part of a journey. And even just talking to, you know, you last night said, I love you. That God has used even that. It's not, it doesn't happen as much anymore. Okay. But even coming to the realization, what if God did make you that way? Can he not still use you in great ways? Absolutely. You know, we, we would love to think God owes us a perfect everything, but he doesn't. There's brokenness, there's sin, there's struggle. And, and we are a result of that. And sometimes we have these things that, God, if you would have made me differently, if you would have given me fill in the blank, right? And God says, who loves you? Who's your father? Who made you? I can use even that for my glory. Don't focus on that. 
So friends, I want to ask you, what is in your hand? I think God wants to use it. Some of you just need to open your mouth and share the gospel with somebody because what's in your hand is a relationship with a neighbor or a coworker. Just do it, right? And you're like, whoa, hold on. Have you heard me talk? I'm like, well, who made that talk? Who made that mouth, right? Yeah, you can study. Yeah, you can learn. I get all that. You can get better things. Absolutely. But who made you? He made you. The one who is, he was, is, and it will be the one who is with you personally. He's a personal, self-sufficient God who will go with you personally into those moments because he wants to show up. You're just a dry bush. He just wants to ignite a flame inside of you. And I know you protest because I protest. But just let God show up. We all feel inadequate to the task. My boys and I, we were out to dinner a week ago with Mary Beth, and we were at Red Robin, our favorite place to eat French fries, and, and, um, and some of you are hungry now because I said that. I understand that. You can hate me later, but I'm telling you, we're sitting there, and, and, uh, and, and we're eating, and we're having a family night. We don't have a lot of family nights because of busyness. Both boys work, and it's kind of chaos schedules, the season of life, and we're having a family night together, and we're going to talk about some stuff, and then my wife gets a text. And she starts to cry. She goes, her friend killed herself. And so we start praying and she goes out and we're like, okay, we got to go doggy bag, please. And we put everything away and drop the kids off and we go. And I don't know what to do in that situation. We go into the home and we're there for hours and we walk through the journey and we have a memorial service on Tuesday. None of us are equipped for that task. But what we're ready to do is just show up, right? Because in the midst of our inadequacy, God shows up. Many of you ladies know. I was talking to a circle of gals this morning after the nine o'clock service, and they were all friends of this gal, and none of us have answers. But maybe we don't need answers. Maybe we just need to show up. And by showing up, God shows up. Maybe we just need to speak. And by speaking, God speaks through us. You're not Moses. I'm not Moses. Moses wasn't even Moses (laughs) in the beginning. But he was willing to do whatever God said finally. He is the I am. When you transfer this into the New Testament, Jesus showed up, the one who was in the bush, and he said, I am. And he said this to you and to me, and I want to comfort you with these words. He said, I am the bread of life. In other words, eat of me and you'll have everything you need. I'm all that will satisfy you. He said, I am the light of the world. You and I live in a dark world. Don't fear the darkness. Run to Jesus who is the light and will shine a light through you. I am the door. He's the only safe way out of confusion and chaos in this world. I am the resurrection of life. Death is not final. But it's the beginning of eternity for you and for me who are in Christ. I'm the good shepherd, man, when you need it. Man, you need a shepherd. He'll make you lie down and he'll lead you and guide you. He loves you. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father. He's a way that God has lovingly given us. And then he said, I am the true vine. Friends, stick so close to Christ. Abide in him and he will bear fruit through you. Because you don't have what it takes and I don't have what it takes. And Moses didn't have what it took. But when we just go and we just show up, God does the miraculous, and I believe he still does. He's waiting for us to say yes. Pray with me.
Father, I thank you for the words of the story that are, are so huge and Movies have been made and stories and scripts and plays and it's, it's, it's just magnificent. But really it's about the story of a man who was too old, too rejected, too preoccupied, too washed up. And yet you showed up in a burning bush moment and you revealed yourself, your personal self to Moses. And now you're doing that for us. And so with you, in you, through you, we can do everything you want us to do. But we have to stop objecting, stop pushing back, stop arguing with you. Look at what's in our hand. Realize you've made us the way you have for your glory's sake. God, I pray you would do something amazing. Because this world needs it. This culture needs it. This time needs it. We want to be wise in how we share your love and your grace. But we need to share it. We need to push out into dark areas and shine the light of Christ. And I know it's fearful. I know there are questions. I know we look at others and point that they could do it better. But you have called us. So, Father, this week, give us an opportunity. And may we just speak. May you give us the words. May we just love and give us the love. May maybe we confront, give us the kindness to lead to repentance, but do that for your glory's sake. We pray in your name. Amen.